Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, our second scripture reading this morning is from Roman, Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Yeah, I am told there's a lot of people that actually like the fair. So I try to not yuck anybody else's yum because I'm not one of those folks. I took a picture, I was out there Thursday for work, and I took a picture of what's usually a huge sea of humanity, and in this case wasn't quite as bad as normal. But I posted it on social media and said, this is my anxiety in photo form. Uh, Because usually you come over that hill and it's, anyway, I won't go there. But yeah, four more days out at the fair this week. It'll be a lot of fun. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Appreciate it very much. Those of you who are with us in the chapel, And those of us who are joining online, thank you uh, for being a part of this community as well. You are very much uh, missed in not being here, but valued as being part of this community. So thank you. Thank you very much. We are in the 13th week after Pentecost, which means we are officially halfway through ordinary time on the church calendar. Ordinary time is the longest period of time on the church calendar as we head towards Advent and a new church year, which will start the first week of December. But we've made halfway through ordinary time. We got another 13 weeks to go. Of course, ordinary time is where we focus on being ordinary apprentices of Jesus. That's a value. That's a strong uh, mission here at Genesis is to help us help each other be the best ordinary apprentices we can be of Jesus. How do we move in that direction of being better, a little bit better, and a little bit better at following Jesus each and every week? And at the top of your liturgy on the front page there, there's always a description of the season that we're in. And in the description of ordinary time, you'll see in there, it talks about the Spirit empowering us, indwelling us, and empowering the church to play its part in God's kingdom mission and the the promise that God has for the restoration and the renewal of all creation. And today's scripture portion, I think, deals with the directionality of that empowerment and the fruit of that empowerment. And if that sounds a little bit confusing, that's okay. We'll unpack it and we'll go through it together because I think there's a lot here in just a few verses. What we're going to do is we're going to take the first two verses individually and kind of break those down. And then that second portion, that second 
almost paragraph there, verses three through eight, all kind of fits together. So we'll kind of take that in one run, okay? That's sort of our plan for the day. So let's read verse one again, and we'll start to work on that one a little bit. Verse one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What in the world does that mean? Well, before we get to that, I want to deal with that word, therefore. Anytime you see a word, therefore, in Scripture, your first instinct should be to turn backwards because something just happened, and now Paul is telling us, because of what I just said, we're going to go in this direction. Therefore, it becomes a, a pivot point, a hinge that we turn upon. So what you have to remember is that in verses 1 through 11, Paul has spent these 11 chapters, not verses, chapters, 1 through 11, talking about God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and how that is poured out on each and every one of us through Christ. And in light of that, how do we respond? That's what therefore becomes, is this pivot point, right? So what is the response? The response, Paul suggests, is to bring our full selves into our relationship with God. Mindy Douglas is a pastor in North Carolina, and she says, therefore, again, there's that word, therefore, as those who have experienced and now claim the gift of grace in Christ, respond to the gift with your whole lives, with your bodies, with your full selves. When Paul talks about the body there, he's not just talking about the physical presence. He is talking about that, but not just that. When he's talking about body in that sense, he's talking about your mind, your heart, your soul, and your physical presence, all of it. We are designed to be in relationship with God in our fullest selves, right? A relationship with God isn't just a matter of an intellectual assent. Believe me, as an Enneagram 5, I wish it was. I'm really good at the intellectual assent part. The rest of it, not as much. But it's not just that. It's not just the affection of the heart. God has designed us for covenantal relationship. And that means just like in your marriages, when you need to bring your fullest selves, the good stuff the not as good stuff, the downright unfortunate stuff. You have to bring all of that to that relationship. That's how our relationship with God is designed to work. The thing of it is, when we hide the ugly stuff, and we all have ugly stuff, right? When we hide the ugly stuff from God, when we don't present that to Him, when we try to hold that back because we're, we're fearing some form of judgment and reprisal, we're actually dishonoring God. And what I mean by that is God already knows all of that stuff. We're not really hiding anything. We do that with each other all the time. We present our best selves. Social media, that's all social media is. It's us trying to present our best lives to the rest of the world, right? And when we try to do that to God, the God that knows the number of hairs on our head, and we think we can hide that stuff from God. We think we can just sort of put that, the stuff that we're ashamed of over in this corner and just present our good stuff to God No. That's not how it's designed to work. Because we sit here and we fear judgment and we fear reprisal and meanwhile God is offering grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Paul just spends 11 chapters beating that drum over and over and over again and he says you have to work against that instinct to say no, I'm not going to present my fullest self to God. I'm going to hide the bad stuff and I'm just going to present the good stuff to God. The sacrifice Paul is ultimately talking about is sort of a get over yourselves notion, right? Get over this idea that you can hide that stuff, that you need to hide that stuff. Sacrifice that. Offer up to God your whole self. 
Everything you are, everything you bring to the table, good, bad, and ugly, give it all up to God because God, more than anything, wants to help love you through that ugly stuff. Help love you into overcoming that ugly stuff. But if you don't bring it to him in the first place, that never happens, right? Offering that up to God, that's the kind of sacrifice. Being real with God, bringing our fullest self to God, opens us up to that kind of empowerment that we talked about. It opens us up to the forgiveness of Christ and the Spirit indwelling us and working, starting to do the work of shifting those things that are wrong, shifting those things that we're not, we're not happy with, shifting those things that we're ashamed of. That kind of work is what the Spirit is designed to do, and that kind of work leads us to the second verse. So let's read that one. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh boy, what's going on here? Do not be conformed to this age. Let's start with just that, path, that phrasing, okay? And I want to point out that the language there is very important. Do not be transformed. It doesn't say, do not transform yourselves. It says, do not be transformed. This idea of transformation isn't, I'm sorry, be conformed is the first word. That idea of being conformed to this age isn't something that we do. It isn't something we necessarily even choose to do. Being conformed is something that happens to us in almost a passive fashion. I can give you this example. When I was just out of college, I got a job working at a place that was, it was a store that was being built in Eau Claire. Uh, Montgomery Wards, the old department store, was trying to build a Best Buy competitor, and they called it Electric Avenue. And so I got a job there as they were building out the store. Well, Montgomery Wards is based in Alabama. So all the corporate people that were coming up and building out this store all had a southern drawl. And you found over time that you'd almost slip into that drawl as you were talking to them, subconsciously. It wasn't everything I chose to do. It just sort of happened. I, to this day, use the word y'all more than anybody else I know because it just got ingrained in every other word that these guys would say was y'all. That's being conformed. That's something that just sort of happens. And Paul's asking us to recognize that that happens. Now, that example is a fairly benign one, right? But when Paul's talking to the Romans and saying, don't be conformed to this age, what he's arguing against, what he's pushing against, is this idea of power, this idea of physical dominance that completely dominated the Roman culture. The idea that violence and brutality is how to get what you want. That if you forced someone else to do as you saw fit through acts of violence and brutality, that made you powerful, that made you wealthy, that made you higher in the social hierarchy. And Paul's begging people not to conform to that idea. Because following Christ is about serving others, not about oppressing others. Following Christ is about sacrificing of ourselves, not sacrificing other people. He's pushing against them, please don't do that, please don't do that. Please don't allow yourself to do that. We live today in a culture where we are bombarded. Like drinking out of the fire hose with messages of individuality, with messages about picking ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? About being rugged individualists, about not relying on others, about taking care of things ourselves. And those messages aren't inherently bad. 
But, like with anything else, when they're overdone, and we have a habit in this culture of overdoing things, when they're overdone, it can, be cause, it can cause problems. The problem that these messages cause is it creates this scarcity mindset. It creates a focus on ourselves. I have to make sure I have enough because if I don't have enough and I'm responsible for taking care of myself and not relying on other people, what am I going to do? So I've got to be more productive. I've got to get, make more money so I can buy more and bigger and better things. Because if I do all that, every single commercial that I see on television or hear on the radio, for those of us that still listen to radio, uh, every single one of those messages tell us that if we just have enough stuff, if we just have this extra thing, this one more thing, then we'll be happy and then we'll be fulfilled. And that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Some of the most miserable people I know on this earth have enough money to take care of themselves and several generations after themselves. It doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't make you happy. That focus inward is not how we're designed to operate. So what does? Well, if the focus inward doesn't work, how about the focus outward? We don't get into it in this particular passage, but it's all throughout Paul's writings. This idea of service, this idea of sacrifice for each other, that if I sacrifice for you and you sacrifice for me, all of our needs get met. And if we do that in the wider and wider and wider form of community, everybody's needs get met. That's what fulfills us. Think of any time you've ever volunteered ever. I'd love somebody to tell me that they volunteered someplace and didn't feel a sense of fulfillment afterwards because I don't, I don't know. I've, it's never happened to me. There are volunteer opportunities that aren't the greatest in the world, but when you see how small acts of service can have huge impacts in other people's lives, it just inspires you to do more and more and more acts of service. That's what fulfills us. So not being conformed to this age is one thing. The next phrasing, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, has that same language structure, right? This isn't something that we do. This is something that happens to us. So how does that happen to us, right? It is difficult to shift your mindset from what do I need to do to what do I need to allow to have happen to me? And that's what this phrase is specifically dealing with. It seems like a big shift, right? Dr. Beverly Gaventa is a New Testament scholar at Baylor University, and she says that transformation comes about not simply by having the right thoughts or the appropriate intellectual framework, but by a change in the way in which people think. Paul is calling for a radical realignment of how we think away from that inward focus and more towards that outward focus, towards the other, towards an other-oriented direction. And that's not easy. But the beauty of it is, it's not something we have to generate all on our own. That's where the Spirit comes in. That's where the Spirit is designed to help us. Well, how do we let that happen? That's where the renewing of your mind part comes in. And that happens in a multitude of ways. I can give just a few examples. Yes, part of that is intellectual. Part of that is studying. Part of that is opening up this library of books once in a while and studying and reading whether that's devotional, whether that's in a scripture circle. We had one of those about a week and a half ago. It was amazing. Whether it's in a class this fall, maybe on, I don't know, Galatians, cheap plug. That registration is coming to a liturgy near you soon. Or any other form of study. That's part of it. That's part of it. It's not the whole of it. But it's part of it. Renewing of our minds also happens in community. 
It also happens just in living life in a certain direction with each other, participating in certain volunteer events or just community events, whatever it is. It's living that life in a particular direction. Like I said, Christianity isn't just intellectual assent. Christianity is a lived experience. And the more we live that experience with each other, the more open we become to the Spirit getting inside us and doing the work that's necessary to change our thought process, to change the orientation of our thoughts away from ourselves and what do I need and how do I make sure I have enough to what do they need and how do they make sure that they have enough. Because if everybody's doing that, we all take care of each other. What you find is when you're intentional about study, when you're intentional about living that lifestyle, you by nature open yourself up to more and more of that spirit's influence. The more you see change happen, the more you see the effects of that change, the more you want to change, the more you're open to it. Yeah, spirit, give me more, give me more, give me more. And it just sort of snowballs. And you see your life's trajectory change dramatically. Not by anything you've done, but by what you've allowed the spirit to do. Bringing our fullest selves to God allows God to help us resist conformity and embrace the power of the Spirit to help us transform ourselves, and that changes how we see the world and how we see everyone else in it. And that brings us to that last portion, verses 3 through 8. So let me read those. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness." This argument Paul's making in this paragraph is very similar to the argument he makes in his first letter to the Corinthians. And if you'll recall back weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago when we talked about Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Corinth was a Roman city. It was a Roman city in which hierarchy and status were extraordinarily important. Where you ranked, opposed to everybody else, was something that everybody was obsessed with in that city. It was part of Roman culture. Well, now we've got Paul writing to the heart of the empire in Rome. You think that's any less the case? No, it's, if anything, it's even more. And so he's pushing back again, saying, no, the gifts that you're given aren't, well, if you prophesy, you're better than somebody that teaches. If you teach, you're better than somebody that's just compassionate. And let's rank ourselves based. No, no. He pushes get back against all of that. All the gifts that God gives are equal in value because we're all part as individuals of this larger body. That's the picture he's trying to draw for us here. Susan Grove Eastman is a New Testament scholar at Duke Divinity School, and she says, in merely human communities, what passes for unity often comes at the cost of conformity. If there is no disagreement or tension in the community, one wonders who has been silenced or excluded. One of the great failures of the modern church is how we do unity sometimes, because we insist on forms of conformity that we don't need to insist on. Yes, there are basic elements of Christianity that we all have to kind of be cool with, right? But those aren't, those aren't very many. And unfortunately, the church 
in modern times insists on conformity in a lot of areas that it doesn't need to be insisted upon. The church would do well to focus more on diversity and unity through diversity, but diversity first. A diversity of opinion, a diversity of thought, a diversity of gender, a diversity of sexuality, a diversity of life experience. We fail at that far, far too often. And it needs to be something that we have to address. Because if we bring our fullest selves to God, if we bring all that we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, to God, if we have aligned our thinking with God's trajectory for us, if we have opened ourselves to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit, what you start to see is that God has given gifts to everybody. Everybody. We see God working through everybody. Not just those that believe in her. Everybody. Even those, maybe especially those, that we disagree with. Look back for a second at the gifts that Paul lists in verse 6 and 7. Yes, prophecy and ministry are primarily faith-related. True. Teaching can be faith-related, but it doesn't have to be. Encouragement can be faith-related, but it doesn't have to be. Giving, leading, compassion, all of these things can be generated out of faith, but they don't have to be. Because God's given everyone these gifts, whether they have faith or not. Well, now wait a minute. If God's given everybody's gifts, what's the point of being a Christian then, right? Why don't we just all try to be good people and that's, that's fine. The point of Christian, Christianity, the point of following Jesus, the point of being an ordinary apprentice is understanding, bless you, Jane, is understanding we don't have to do this alone. My best friend in the world, who calls himself an atheist, I call him an agnostic, we have wonderful conversations arguing about what he is. But he rebels at the idea of having to surrender to anybody or anything. He would argue, and fairly convincingly, that humans have an innate capacity for good and they don't need faith or religion to live good lives. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that he's entirely wrong. I think human beings can be good people and can live good lives without faith and religion, which is an odd thing for a pastor to say, especially as the children rejoin us. But I also think that each of us could find our way out of a forest all by ourselves but boy, it's a lot easier if you have a compass and a map and a couple of people who know how to read those things, isn't it? This book that we read and preach from every week, this library of books, is not perfect. A lot of people get mad when I say stuff like that, but it's the truth. It's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. The lack of perfection in this book does not reflect on a lack of perfection in God. It reflects on the nature of humanity because human beings helped write this thing. It's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. All it has to be is what God wants us to have as we navigate our way through this imperfect world. That's all it has to be. But it helps. A map and a compass don't tell you everything there is to know about a forest you're trying to navigate your way out of. But when you have those things and you have a group of people that know how to use them, 
and you work together, they help. They help. When used in a community of people who have various giftings and who some of them have offered their fullest self to God and opened themselves to the Spirit, they not only help you find your way out of the forest, but they help you make your life and the life of others around you just a little bit better. And that's the job of an ordinary apprentice, to live in that direction. Paul is telling us here, bring everything you've got to God because God can use it all. Even the stuff that you're ashamed of, God can use for your benefit and for the benefit of others. When you bring that fullest self to God, when you open yourself up to the influence of the Spirit, look, remember the Holy Spirit is every bit as much of the Trinity as the Father and the Son is. If culture can influence us, the Spirit absolutely can influence us. The difference is where the culture forces itself down your throat when we're drinking from that fire hose of advertising, God never forces himself on us. God never pushes his way into our life and says, you have to do this. God wants to be partners in our lives. God wants that covenantal give and take relationship in our lives. When we open ourselves up to the influence of the Spirit, when we allow the Spirit to get inside us and start changing things and start changing the direction where we think not so much of ourselves but more about other people, when we do all of that, when we immerse ourselves in Scripture, when we live out a Christian life, when we start to make that turn, when we start to focus in the direction God wants us to focus, what we find is we see gifts in everybody and everything around us. And we can work with those people. Whether they're Christians or not, we can be blessed by their gifts and we can learn from those gifts and we can work with those gifts to help do the work that God has set in front of us to do, to help bring about the renewal and the restoration of God's kingdom here on earth. That's what being an ordinary apprentice is about. Finding that directionality, letting God get inside of us and do that work and seeing those gifts in everyone around us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.